whether in embryo in his mother's womb or an aging person with dementia, it, it doesn't matter what your abilities are, right. what your IQ level is, what your physical capacity is. Can you feel pain or not? Are you conscious or not? If you're a human, you are the image of God, hmm. period. And you don't have to do anything to keep that or to prove it or to you know, preserve it. You just, to be human is to be the image of God. And, and that I think is profoundly helpful. You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles, and we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hello, everybody. You're listening to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Gruden, and I'm one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church, and I'm joined, uh, as always, with my good friend Ryan Chase, who's also a pastor at Emmaus. And uh, we are going to continue this week with part two of our section on the statement of faith dealing with creation, providence, and man. Um, and if you if you listen to last time, we left off with a bit of a cliffhanger. Oh, yeah. Tensions were high. Uh, we, we focused primarily on creation and providence and God creating um, everything out of nothing. Uh, he is both transcendent and imminent. He is um, He is near to us. He, he has sent his son and it's, the creation is important because he's mm-hmm. sent his son to take on flesh, to, to save us and rose again in a body. Uh, so he shows, he cares for this world and his, his aim is to redeem and remake mm-hmm. this world. Um, so now we move to the crowning piece of that creation, which is mankind, man created in God's image. And I'll read this, this, there's three other sections here. They're a bit shorter and we'll take them a little bit in breath or a little bit quicker. We've, we've touched on these topics in the past, but it's, yeah, it's hard to top these summary statements. So I'll read this first section and we'll, we'll dive in. So under the heading, uh, this is a ma- the major heading of creation, providence, and man subheading man's creation in God's image. God created man, male and female, in his own image as the crown of creation and the object of his special care. God directly created Adam from the dust of the earth and Eve from Adam's side as the parents of the entire human race. They were created to know and glorify their maker by trusting in his goodness and obeying his word. God gave them dominion over all creation to fill, subdue, and steward the earth as his representatives. All human beings are likewise made in the image of God. Despite the effects of the fall on sinful humanity, all people do remain God's image bearers, capable of fellowship with him and possessing intrinsic dignity and value at every stage of life from conception to death. Redemption in Christ progressively restores fallen men and women to their true humanity as they are conformed to the image of Christ. Mm. Mm. That's rich. Should we, <laughs> once again, should we just move on or do we? Yeah, <laughs> well, well said. <laughs> what sticks out to you, Ryan, as we, as we read there? Yeah, well, uh, like the heading man's creation in God's image, which is... Uh, just a, a vast and 
mysterious and and wonderful thing um, to be made in the image of God. Uh, we said last time, all creation displays, declares, reveals the glory of God. So there's a, a mm-hmm. sense in which everything that God has made reflects his creativity, his power, his wisdom, his goodness. Paul makes that case in Romans 1. You can know things about God, what he's like through the things that he's made. And, and so then, you know, when it comes to man being made in the image of God, as Genesis 1 says, what does that mean? How are we mm. uniquely his image? Um, we do something more than anything else in creation. Uh, every part of creation is reflecting God, but only humans are his image. Mm. Um, and so it gives a worth and a value to humanity. It tells us something about what we're for. You were kind of making this point in, in the last episode about, um, we can't just look at the world detached from its creator to know what is it for and what should we do with it and what Mm. should we not do all of those oughts where we get ethics, you know, here's the way things are, but how should they be? That all depends on well, what did the creator intend? And so this just tells us so much then about who we are as human beings. And so much of ethics is related to this idea that human beings are the image of God. So uh, the sixth commandment, the prohibition of murder in Genesis nine, when God is speaking to Noah, he, he grounds that in this doctrine that man is made in the image of God. That's why if anybody sheds the blood of man by man, shall his blood be shed because Man is the image of God. Yeah. So, so there is a, a value and a worth about us that affects how we are to relate to one another and the meaning and purpose of our lives, why we exist on earth mm. to bring glory to God. So that, that theme has yeah, just so much importance for us. One of the things that stands out to me as, we, as I read this, particularly given how we read in the first section about how God created the world, right? He created it by his word, he Hmm. spoke and it came into being. Well, the means of man's creation highlights its significance, right? If God created the world and it was good and he just spoke it, well, look how he created Adam. He creates him directly. God directly creates Adam. He takes the time to, to go down and gather the dust of the earth and to form it exactly how he would. And then to breathe this, this inspiration, this breath, this, life-giving breath into the lungs of Adam and, and making him a living creature. Mm. Um, and then the, the creation of of Eve, this going in and taking out this rib and then from that rib forming the woman. There's just, uh, it's just such a picture of God's care, mm-hmm. his intention, his, his, his value that he places on this image because it's his, it's mm-hmm. his image. Uh, in a way that is different than all the rest. That's why Adam, when he's when the woman's finally brought to him, can say, ah, at last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. There's yeah. a sameness about us because he could see in the woman a, a likeness that was similar to his. Mm-hmm. Not uh, different, obviously, but yep. you were made like I was made. And that makes that that makes all the difference. And mm-hmm. what's important and vital is it's not just Adam and Eve who were made in the image of God who, who bear the image of God, who are the image of mm-hmm. God. But that is, that's a hereditary thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's a passed down thing. We see that, we know that um, because of texts like Genesis 5 where the Adam's descendants to Noah are, are played out. And it says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness, same word of image of God. Male and female, he created them. That's 
And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. That's all echoing back into Genesis 1 and 2. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. Mm. Right? So there's this, you know, we always... I, I didn't learn a lot of things in geometry, but one of them was the transitive <laughs> property, right? If A equals B and B equals C, therefore A equals C. So if Adam was made in God's image and Seth was made in Adam's image, therefore mm. Seth has God's image. And that happened through the natural processes. God didn't go down and form uh, in the same way, right? Psalm right. 139 does make clear that God is knitting all of us together in our mother's womb through that quote unquote natural process. Mm-hmm. But what happened to Seth is what is the same thing that happened to all of us that mm-hmm. have now lived after is this to be a human. So the case is to be a human is to be made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And to be made in the image of God means that you have intrinsic substantial worth. And by mm-hmm. substantial, I don't mean like great, but like it's a substance. It's an mm-hmm. essence that is yours, not by, as opposed to a performative, like I have to achieve some yeah. level of, humanness this is often comes out in the abortion debate well if they have a heartbeat right if they look like a a baby if you can detect brain waves right if they can feel pain right it's a it's more demonstrative i I need to prove myself to belong to this class rather than having intrinsic substantive um personhood or image bearing worth right um and i would argue that that definition this performative demonstrative has is what's led to the greatest atrocities Absolutely. in human history. Yep. The devalue. Well, they don't perform well enough. They haven't hit the standard of what we would consider a human being. Therefore we can do whatever we want yep. to them. Um, and that's not at all the biblical case. Yeah. And when it comes to the image of God, uh, usually the question comes up, what is it about us that is particularly the image of God. Mm. And usually there, you know, we go to certain, like you're saying, performative things, things that we can do. And, and certainly we can think of, well, um, we can think and reason and there's a reflection of God. We Mm. can communicate like God communicates. We can relate like God relates. Um, any of those things you could, on the one hand, you could say, well, there are animals that can do some of those things also. So how are we different than animals that also have, ability to communicate or to relate in herds or packs or whatever. Um, what is it about humans that is unique and distinct from any other creation Mm. creature that exists? And like you're saying the image of God, this has been the most helpful thing to me, um, from Herman Bavink and his reformed dogmatics. Uh, he says the essence of human nature is it's being created in the image of God. Mm. Uh, he's, he says the image of God is not something that we bear or possess. It's just what we are. Yeah. If you're a human, you are the image of God. To be human is to be the image of God. He goes on to say, it follows from the doctrine of human creation, the image of God, that this image extends to the whole person. Nothing in a human person is excluded from the image of God. While all creatures display vestiges of God, only a human being is the image of God. Yes. And he is such totally in soul and body in all his faculties and powers, in all conditions and relations, meaning whether in embryo, in his mother's womb, or an aging person with dementia, it it doesn't matter what your abilities are, what your IQ level is, what your physical capacity is. Can you feel pain or not? Are you conscious or not? If you're a human, you are the image of God, Hmm. period. And you don't have to do anything to keep that or to prove it or to 
you know, preserve it. You just, to be human is to be the image of God. And, and that I think is profoundly helpful. Yeah. So that speaks to our worth, our value, our intrinsic worth and value, which then of course, as we've been talking about, has ethical implications, Mm -hmm. meaning you can't destroy that without God um, revealed justification, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, That is, and and that's, that's Genesis nine. If you take blood, if you, if you destroy this image, Mm -hmm. you will be destroyed as well. So it's not like a, um, it's not a sanctity of human life, uber alles, meaning never can life ever be taken because of the value of it. And because of whose image it bears, only he and he alone can tell when yes. we can take that image or to take that life. Yep. Um, so that speaks to the intrinsic nature of what it means to be the image of God. Well, there's also um, functional, like what was the what was what were we made for? Yeah. What purpose were we made for? It's one thing to talk about the well. Oh, that's a, a hammer. If it has these features, and then it's always a hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, Part of that definition is going to include what what is a hammer is its function, mm-hmm. its essence, and its function how it how it operates, what it was made to do, and that's we see that in this definition too, and this is I think reflected in our scripture they they were created to know and glorify their Maker, and how do they do that by trusting His goodness and obeying His word, trust and obey. There's no other way. No other way. No other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And to see, what's helpful about this is um, it, it means to, to have the image of God means that you were created with the capacity to know and relate and have fellowship with the creator. Mm-hmm. No other part of creation has, it, it, Paul says, angels long for this type. They, mm-hmm. They're creative beings. They yeah. long for this type of relationship, which is this intimate fellowship that we have with God mm-hmm. as his mm-hmm. pinnacle of creation made in his image. And we were created to know him and to bring glory to him. Edwards calls it God's God emanates his glory to the creation. We were created to remanate or to emanate back to. So it's this, not just reflect, but to take that yeah, glory, receive that, it and enjoy it and return it as expressed. Exactly. Joy. And it, and we have, we were created to do that. It's not, you, you don't have the image of God. If you do that, mm. you have it. Yeah. So do it. Yeah. And you how have do the you capacity to do that because you are the image of God? Exactly. And then the question, well, how are we to do that? And answer is trust his goodness, obey his word. Yeah. Which is exactly the relationship that God has established with Adam and Eve in the garden when he put them in a garden that they did not plant or cultivate, blessed them with good food to eat that they did not grow, <laughs> um, and, and told them, enjoy all of this. Yeah. And then there's one tree don't touch that. So he establishes right there that he, he rules the world by his word and that the, the only way ever to relate to him is to trust him and obey him, to yeah. take him at his word, to trust him for all of our satisfaction and security. Yeah. The garden was not a tyrannical, burdensome existence. Yeah. It was a, uh, as one author says it, it was a world of yeses with one no. Mm-hmm. And the no was not necessarily going to be a forever no. Mm-hmm. It was more a, do you trust me enough? If you've ever get a chance to sit down and you want to read a really beautiful book that kind of speaks on this, I recommend uh, C.S. Lewis's book, Paralandra on the the, the second of the the ransom trilogy, where 
it's like a long-term dialogue between various characters on this very thing of, mm. of will you trust the creator when he says don't to, not to do something and this this push and pull between the 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 god honoring um, instinct and the demonic temptation mm-hmm. to to throw away those chains because what it means to to have the image of god is to be a, a dependent created being that is dependent on God for all of it. Like you said, they were placed in a garden that they did not plant, they yeah. did not create, and God gave them abundance. Yeah. Um, and, and that temptation in the garden is fascinating, isn't it? When um, the serpent comes to Eve and specifically says um, to her, you will not die, hmm. but God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, hmm. knowing good from evil. So he holds out this temptation to be like God, the irony is they are already the image of God. That's how he made them. Right. And the essence of all of our sin is grasping for some equality with God or even superiority over God through our own means, thinking we can tell for ourselves what's good for us and and we want to rule our own lives outside of submission to, to God and trust and reliance on his word. Yeah. And what we're talking about here are created realities, creational foundational realities that were not, that, that survived the fall. Uh, right. We did not lose the image of God post Genesis three. Part of the curse or the curse was not, you no longer have the image of God because like we said earlier, the image is not something that we perform mm-hmm. and we just, Adam and Eve did really poorly. <laughs> so they failed. No, they, they continued to be the image bearing creatures that they, mm-hmm. that they were created in the first place. It's now that those tasks, those, those functional um, obeying and glorifying and trusting were all going to be harder. Yeah. And there was going to be now enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And there would always be that tension. Yeah. Um, and we see that playing out today um, in the, really the, the war on the image of God in things like masculinity and, and femininity and, and male and female. Yeah. Yeah. Everywhere we turn, yeah. the image of God is under assault, being attacked, being yeah. Destroyed. Destroyed. In the womb. Yeah. yeah. Literally. And yeah. So let me move on to the next section. If that's all right. If you have anything. To uh, add? Well, I was just going to add right in the middle there, there's that sentence. God gave them dominion over mm. all creation yeah. to fill, yep. subdue and steward the earth as his representatives. I think that gets, like you were saying, um, not just the essence, but the, the function. Mm. Why did God create beings in his image on the earth? And what we see in scripture is to rule the world under him to represent his rule and his authority. And so in Genesis one, you have right after God says, let us create man in our image. And he creates us male and female in his own image. Um, then he blesses them Mm. and says, be fruitful and multiply. And so you put that together and you realize, Oh, God's purpose is for his image to be multiplied, to fill the earth. He wants this world full of these beings who represent him uh, and display him and represent him by ruling the world in his ways. And so God is represented. God is displayed. God is reflected and glorified on earth when human beings live life God's way and take dominion. So that's oftentimes referred to as the the cultural mandate or the dominion mandate. Um, It's interesting. It was not, it it reads like a command, but it says in Genesis one, God blessed them. Mm. God blessed them and said, be fruitful 
and multiply. His that, that's a blessing. His commandments are not burdensome. That's right. Yeah. That's so, right. so that idea of filling and, and subduing, that, that's what we're for. We are on earth to steward this world, to rule it under God, to live in it God's way, um, to care for created things. So, so that has implications for how we relate to hmm. the earth and uh, animals. And, all, you know, we should think like Christians about all these things. And, and it is amazing that even non-Christians have this inescapable sense of responsibility for the yeah. world. You see that in uh, the way people talk about the environment and stewardship and pollution and, and those things, um, animals and conservation. And you, you have people who are not Christians. Why do they have this sense that of all the animals, you know, from an evolutionary view, we're just another one of the animals on earth. Why do they have the sense that we are somehow responsible for how the earth goes, for taking care of animals, for helping save endangered species that that's written into our hearts yeah. by God that yeah. we do have, they're right. We do have responsibility. That's right. <laughs> it's given to us by God because yeah. we're not just another one of the animals. We are the image of God. Hmm. And like you said, that, that cultural, uh, cultural mandate, the dominion mandate, God blesses them and commands them to spread that image. And mm-hmm. the great mystery of it all is that the only way to make more of that image is for these two categories, which are, we're about to talk about these two separate categories of Mm. men and women to come together Mm -hmm. and to be united in a certain way. So, um, part of that, you know, the, the cultural mandate that in the beginning, God created male and female, this, this separation of these two binary categories is, is what's next in view. So Mm -hmm. this next uh, heading is man as male and female, which by the way, it's mentioned above that this is the doctrine or our, the section on creation, providence, and man. I hope it goes without saying that that phrase and man is implying mankind, which includes men and women, which we're Sorry. about to talk about. So man as male and female. Men and women are both made in the image of God and are equal before him in dignity and worth. Gender, designated by God through our biological sex, is therefore neither incidental to our identity nor fluid in its definition, but is essential to our identity as male and female. Although the fall distorts and damages God's design for gender and its expression, these remain part of the beauty of God's created order. Men and women reflect and represent God in distinct and complementary ways, and these differences are to be honored and celebrated in all dimensions of life. To deny or seek to remove these differences is to distort a fundamental way in which we glorify God as male and female. I, you know, this section probably is more filled out than his. Because remember, we at the beginning of all this, we were like, "Hey, the sovereign grace statement of faith is not a novel." statement. We're not Hmm. trying to say anything cute or new. We're borrowing from hundreds and hundreds of years of church history that have Hmm. made similar statements and we're indebted. We're just saying, here's what we believe the Bible is saying. So hopefully we're not saying anything cool or new or novel, but I would say we probably have to make this thing a bit more filled out than certainly the reformers did or even our past generations, Gosh, even our grandparents, Right. right? Like these statements, especially on gender and sexuality, if you mm-hmm. will, um, really have been filled out given our cultural moment. Yeah. And the speed of the sexual revolution. That's right. How rapidly these ideas 
today have have spread throughout our culture, the mm-hmm. world. Um, yeah, it, it makes it much more necessary to clearly articulate again what's not a new doctrine. This is what Scripture has always taught. This is what Christians have always believed. But because this is particular particularly under attack today, it it becomes even more necessary to be clear on that front. Yeah. And so it's this Genesis one twenty six and 27 through 28 of talking about God created man in his image. And then he clarifies male and female. He created them. Mm-hmm. So there's this, these, this binary category, but yet there is an equality involved mm-hmm. as well. Um, differences for sure, as well as equality. They, they are equal before God in dignity and worth, meaning that men don't have more of the image of God than women do. There is a sameness because it's not performative. Again, mm-hmm. it's substantive. If the image of God is something that you have by very nature, it's and it's not in its value is not based on quantity. Right. Um, a, a larger man is not more of the. I mean, yes, physically more, but he's not more valuable right. than a small child because in 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 quantity. Right. Qualitatively, they're the same. Yeah. In in the image bearingness and. No, sorry. You. you were well, I was, I was just going to add. You can do that with anything. Uh, take any of our differences. If you fill a room full of a hundred people, and you know, compare and contrast people. Sure. You can find some similarities, but largely you're going to find differences, different heights, different mm-hmm. ages, different weights, different eye color, different, you know, you have male and female. So you have all of these differences. And yet we would say all of those people have equal worth. Like it's, it's morally evil to murder any one of those hundred right. people. So what is it that all 100 of those people have in common or take 7 billion people on the earth? What is it that we all have in common? Well, you can't find any one thing except for our humanness. Yeah. Just our humanity. That's it. That's, that's the one thing every one of us has in common with every other person on the planet. And that humanness is the equal, equal in its image bearingness Mm -hmm. and equal in salvation, equal in the sense of they all, we all cost the, we all cost God the same Mm -hmm. to, to purchase our salvation, which is the blood of Christ. Right. Um, so there's equality both in our constitution as well as in our redemption. And so there's an equality. Yes. But <laughs> there are differences. It's, it's the impulse of our moment, especially even in the church, is to just highlight sameness, equality, equality, equality. We, we have that. Yes. Categorically, yes. But there's also differences. Mm-hmm. Um, and differences do imply, well, differences. <laughs> they are not same. Uh, and so the way that the Bible unfolds this right here at the beginning is the difference between male and female, mm-hmm. masculine, feminine, this, this gender, if you will, of men and women. Mm-hmm. And it is God's good design. It's amazing. Here in 2023, we feel like we're getting closer, but we've still not mastered the ability to determine whether or not we're having a boy or a girl, right? Something you find out, yeah. right? And secular, the secular society will say, assigned at birth, <laughs> Okay, where does that, who, who's the assigner? Because clearly we've not, for all of our triumphalism about conquering the world of medicine, we've still not been able to do that silly thing of being able to choose your own adventure of, of yeah. that one or this one. Without all, murder. All, I mean, yeah. you, you could have, through in vitro fertilization, you could fertilize embryos in a lab. Right. And you could run tests and then you could discard or murder all of right. the 
female ones right. or all of the male ones. That, that, that would be the only right. possible well, way Which today. the only difference between us and the Romans is we do it in the womb rather right. than just throw them, throw the, throw the girls or throw the boys out outside. Yeah. So we've not actually progressed very much farther past our pagan, right. <laughs> our pagan friends. All that to say is that the differences are, are real and that the, the temptation at the moment in our cultural moment is to downplay those differences. Mm. But I think what's making being made clear in this statement is that we don't need to downplay the differences. In fact, it is the differences that bring the beauty that mm-hmm. of God's good good design. This this phrase they they represent they are distinct. Um, they represent God in distinct and complementary ways. Mm. You know we know this complementary things like peanut butter and jelly and mornings and coffee and, and all those things. Like there are some things that just go well together. Yeah. Melody and harmony. But f- but for those things to stay good together, to go well together, they have to stay distinct. Mm-hmm. If peanut butter and jelly are delicious on their own and together they get even better, but they have to stay distinct. You still have to have peanut butter and jelly. Uh, if everybody... Start singing, like let's say Ryan. Let's just should we try it? You sing a you sing a melody. <laughs> you sing a melody line. I'll sing. It. I'm just kidding. But if you were to sing a, a, har- a melody line, and I jumped in on harmony, and you just started singing harmony with me, then we lose the melody. We lose the melody. <laughs> we, it would no longer be. Yeah. The, it would no longer bring and, and the, the the unique beauty that you yeah. know each of those lines on their own might sound good, hmm. but there is something good and different when you put melody and harmony together and you go, that is a sound that neither one of them had on their own. Right. Right. And that a beautiful sound. Right. So the differences between men and women, we've gone at length in other podcasts about those differences. So you maybe refer you back to the archives for those, or maybe for another episode coming up, we can mm-hmm. heighten those, but let's, I think it's sufficient to say there are differences mm-hmm. and they, they must be honored and celebrated because to downplay them, I think the warning here is well taken, to deny or seek to remove those differences is to distort a fundamental way in which we glorify God as male and female. If we're going to obey God, remember at the beginning we said um, what it means to be made in the image of God is to trust and obey God, to rule and to represent him. Well, we will all be doing that either as men or as women. Yeah. Um, sexuality really does just permeate us all the way down to the bone. And I've never not been a man. Right. Um, and let's, I'll take my wife, for instance, she's never not been a woman. So there's a relational component to our sexuality that's inescapable. Mm-hmm. So that means that we're going to live in God's world and, and obey the commands from God as sexual beings. Mm-hmm. So it's an inescapable reality that must be both understood and celebrated as God's good design because to distort them is to actually to undercut our ability to obey God's commands. Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. And and I appreciate the line here that says gender designated by God through our biological sex. Yeah. That's helpful. Is neither incidental to our identity nor fluid in its definition, but mm. essential to our identity as male and female. This is at the core of who we are. Right. Everybody exists as male or female by God's design. And our gender is designated by God through biological sex. I think that's helpful wording mm-hmm. in a day and age where um, one of the things that you know, people point out is, well, um, you could be a biological male. You know, our, our world likes to say biological sex is a different thing than gender expression, how you act. And and 
yes, it's possible that somebody with who is biologically male can act in effeminate ways right. or that somebody who's biologically female may act in more masculine ways. And so our culture says, well, all of that pressure to act in what, you know, so-called masculine or feminine ways, those, those are just um, cultural stereotypes. Mm. They're just invented by society and imposed on you, but really gender expression should come from within you and what you feel most deeply, just express yourself, be, be true to yourself. And, and this is clarifying your gender. That is how you express yourself is designated by God right. through biological sex. So, so there should be, yeah. those should line up. Gender biology, expression should yes. find it, should take its cues and its information from your biological yeah. sex. So which if you're exactly biologically right. male, then you should act like a man. You should act in masculine ways. And our culture, like you said, wants to just bifurcate those as, well, one's assigned and you just can't help it. And the other one, you get to choose your right. own adventure. And that, I really, you're right. That exact word, that, that wording of des- your gender, yes, is distinct from your sex in some sense. But the two are intrinsically linked yeah. and, and can't be divided in yep. like in the way that our culture yeah. wants. They, and they should line up. That that's God's design. Good. All right. Well, it's it kind of culminates here in this last um, this last section, which we'll we'll read and then take a few minutes to discuss, and then probably probably call it. This last section leads to marriage, sexuality, and singleness. So I'll read it here: biblical manhood and womanhood. Enrich human flourishing in all its dimensions. God instituted marriage as the union of one man and one woman who complement each other in a one flesh union that ultimately serves as a type of the union between Christ and his church. This remains the only normative pattern of sexual relations for humanity. Husbands are to exercise headship sacrificially and with humility. And wives are to serve as helpers to their husbands, willingly supporting and submitting to their leadership. Together, these complementary roles bring joy and blessing to each other and display the beauty of God's purpose to the world. Single men and women are no less able to enjoy and honor God and no less important to his purposes. They, are, they also are to give expression to God's image in distinct and complementary ways, flourishing as image bearers and bringing him glory in their singleness. Mm. Ladbaugh says it. There it is. <laughs> I mean, reading back through that, you highlight again, kind of the progression here. Again, men and women, marriage is instituted as men and women who complement each other. So that same language, they, they stay distinct. <clears throat> Excuse me. They stay distinct, but there is a better togetherness mm-hmm. uh, in this one flesh union that is purposeful. It's aimed at, be displaying to the watching world the union between Christ and his church. And what's interesting about that whole discussion of marriage is in, uh, an intellectual among us has said all good theology begins in Genesis. Logan, hashtag Logan Thune. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true because in Genesis 1 through 3, you really do see both the institution of what it means to be a man and a woman, the institution of marriage, and the failure to uphold that all within three chapters. Yeah. So all of these roads go back to how God's created realities. We know that this didn't all get thrown out after the fall because Paul, it was at first Corinthians seven talks about or six and seven talks about how he's referencing back to creation and it's created order Mm -hmm. as the foundation of, of marriage. So this is a new Testament reality, right? Yep. So even Adam and Eve in their marriage were depicting something that they could never see, which is 
Christ and his church. Adam was meant to be the head of that family. Eve was to be the perfect helper, a, a helper suitable for him, the text says. And then, of course, they go together, and that that bringing together of that one flesh union was supposed to create more of the image of God. Of course, mm-hmm. we know Genesis 3. It all goes south. And Adam, who is supposed to lead, <coughs> excuse me, abdicates his role. And Eve, who is supposed to take her cues and, and submit to Adam and his leadership, asserts her own leadership and leads them into destruction. And the curses God lays down are towards those two ends. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really is this, this continuity that's, that's flowing through, through all of it. Yeah, that's excellent. Great summary. I, I think um, I've noticed there's, it, it's been common in the last however many years for people to kind of warn other Christians about it. Don't idolize marriage. Don't idolize family. Don't idolize children. I think that kind of gets, can be overused when um, it, it is appropriate to put a, a, the same emphasis and proportionality on marriage and family as scripture does. Mm. And it, it's hard to overstress the importance of that being that this is it begins in Genesis one before yes. you get through the end of the sixth day of creation. You have man as male and female in God's image, blessed to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And so you see that male and female being joined together in marriage and, um, you know, reproducing and filling the earth with God's image is central to the storyline of scripture. It, it's a pretty big deal. In fact, it was probably, you know, probably originally meant to be, the engine of that that dominion, that right. that taking dominion of spreading God's glory was meant to be done through making and multiplying the family, children. That's right. Of more of the image bearers. Yeah, that's right. I, I do appreciate the statement of faith ends too with a word about singleness though, because I, I think as we uphold the goodness and the, the, the glory of marriage and family and children, that does raise the question for those who are in the image of God as male or female and single I'm wondering, okay, so am I somehow less mm. fulfilled, less significant in the story of God? And that those last couple sentences are, are wonderful. Singing single men and women are no less able to enjoy and honor God, no less important to his purposes. They also are to give expressions to God's image in distinct and complementary ways, flourishing as his image bearers and bringing him glory in their singleness. So whatever situation in life you find yourself in, um, you exist as a man or a woman in the image of God, and you are meant to know God, to love him, to live by faith in his promises, to live for his glory on earth. And your life is an important part of that. So that's absolutely necessary to affirm and not hard to point out a couple of key examples in the new Testament, Jesus, who, Nobody has ever obeyed God, honored God like Jesus. Right, and he was a single man. That's right. Um, which is crucial because you know he he is his bride is the church. Um, Paul also, for the sake of the gospel, was a single man, and his entire focus in his life was planting churches, and he suffered greatly. And I think taking a wife along with him in that would have been. Difficult, challenging, <laughs> uh, a distraction from the calling that God had placed on his life. And so right. 
Um, Would have brought a whole new flavor to the missionary trips. <laughs> yeah. So he, he writes on that to the Corinthian church yeah. on his singleness and how good that was for him and how he thinks it's a good thing that others should consider. <laughs> he wishes all would be like him. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But he, but he is very clear to say he, he's not condemning marriage. He's not yeah. saying that it's, it's wrong to be married. Um, but I, I do think that those examples are helpful for those who are single wondering, well, does my life then have any purpose or, or meaning or significance mm. in history and the story of God? Absolutely. Well, to avoid this becoming a three-parter, we better, <laughs> we better wrap it up, wrap it up there. But there is a lot more to be said about all this. And uh, yeah, these are lot, big topics, a lot to be mined. Uh, just really grateful again for the, for this statement. And if you have a copy of the statement of faith, I encourage you to read through these sections on your own, um, particularly paying attention to the footnotes uh, where scripture after scripture is referenced. And I do encourage you to, to, to dive in, read a statement and see what mm-hmm. it's being, what it's being rooted in, in the scriptures and go and read it for yourself. Be, be like the Bereans mm-hmm. testing everything against the word of God. This would make uh, great material for family devotions, yes. family worship after dinner, read a, read a paragraph and yes. discuss if you have kids who are old enough. And there's plenty there to just read it and be done and read it and talk for as long as you and I talk. That's right. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we will continue on next time in our statement and yeah, till next time. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles or missional communities or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.